would like to uh, turn our attention to one of the most troublesome areas of this investigation. I speak of allegations concerning a plan hatched during the last election cycle by the Chinese government and designed to pour illegal money into American political campaigns. The plan had a goal, to buy access and influence and furtherance of Chinese government interests. Beijing was quick to voice its outrage and to engage in a series of overt retaliatory measures. But not all of China's reactions were overt. Secretly, Beijing worked to prevent similar diplomatic surprises from occurring in the future. The committee believes that high-level Chinese government officials crafted a plan to increase China's influence over the U.S. political process. Implementation of the plan has been handled by Chinese government officials and individuals enlisted to assist in the effort. Activities in furtherance of the plan have occurred both inside and outside of the United States. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. That was 1997 when Republican Senator Fred Thompson kicked off Senate hearings on the last time a foreign government tried to interfere with the U.S. presidential election. It was the Chinese government, not the Russians. And it was the 1996 presidential election between Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. Um, We are joined now by one of the reporters who aggressively covered those hearings and that story, Mark Hosenball, now of Reuters, then of Newsweek. Mark, welcome to Buried Treasure. Um, So you were deeply enmeshed in um, covering the campaign fundraising scandal of the late 1990s. Uh, And you actually identified a number of characters who were later shown to be conduits for Chinese money coming in to the U.S. presidential election. They were literally laundering money that came from the Chinese government, yes. But it was a very devious sort of scheme. Okay, so who were they and how did they do it? Well, it was really weird. I don't even remember exactly how I got onto these people, but I started seeing these very large donations to maybe one of Clinton's PACs or campaigns from a woman with a strange name, Jessica Elnidiarda. So I just started to pull stuff on Jessica Elnidiarda. It appeared that she was an Indonesian woman who had a very large family, that they owned some sort of bank in the Inland Empire of Los Angeles, the east of Los Angeles, and that they also owned a whole bunch of properties in Los Angeles. So I went to Los Angeles, and I started going around some of these properties, including a kind of not very nice hotel um, in in the center of Hollywood. Um, And I think I even met one of... uh, Jessica Elnodiarda's business associates in this hotel, and he just seemed very fishy to me. So, And they, they also had a, a company that imported cigarettes, a particularly brand of cigarettes called uh, Hong Tashan, uh, which I think meant Red Pagoda Mountain. Red Mountain Pagoda Cigarettes. Red Pagoda Mountain Cigarettes, which is a famous Chinese brand. So we just started digging into this, and uh, it turned out that uh, the, the person behind all these businesses was Jessica's father, uh, a, a sort of Chinese-Indonesian guy with big sideburns, um, named who we found who went by the name of Ted Shung, S I O E N G, and Ted Shung was heavily involved with the the Clintons, and and in fact we found a picture of Ted Shung sitting at Al Gore's table at a famous uh, Clinton uh, Gore fundraiser at a Buddhist temple in the east of Los Angeles, and we found pictures, I believe, of Ted Shung and maybe Jessica 
standing uh, uh, with uh, Hillary and Bill. Um, and we totaled up all the money, and it, it was like, I think, more than $300,000. And we started digging deeper and deeper. And then there was a story, believe it or not, in the Washington Post by somebody named Bob Woodward, which said that, the, that the FBI had spotted the fact that some representative of China, but it didn't identify who this representative was, had been laundering money from the Chinese government to um, the Clinton campaign. So let me, let, let, let me pick up the story here. Because, Mark, you may remember, we, by the way, we were all working at Newsweek together, Issachar, Posenball, and myself. So um, Mark kept talking about uh, this guy Ted Chung with the mutton chops, and he seemed kind of intriguing. And I was the Justice Department reporter, and I was um, uh, visiting a source of mine and, um, at the department. Um, and I started asking about, um, about this guy Ted Chung. And all of a sudden, the guy was like, Ted Chung, Yeah. Uh, we've got intercepts of uh, conversations between uh, Ted Chung and the and the consul, the Chinese consulate um, in um, in San Francisco. Um, and as it happens, uh, th- this is the only uh, we think this is the only verifiable uh, evidence of uh, the 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 suspected uh, Chinese um, you know in, in, in Chinese intelligence services trying to influence the American election through fun- funneling money um, into campaigns um, and um, I remember uh, running up to you in the uh, hallways of, of, of the Washington Bureau of Newsweek and being able to put these uh, bits of information together and I think we were on a plane off to LA the next day. Well I remember you telling me that the guy that the, 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 the guy that the FBI was looking at, uh, went by the Chinese name Shong Telung. That's and right. And we somehow pretty quickly established that that was the Chinese name of Ted Shong. And and he had all kinds of weird money laundering people in in the in the south of Los Angeles in Orange County, as I recall. And he was giving money to not just Democrats, he was giving money to Republicans too. And eventually we discovered that uh, during the congressional investigation, because Fred Thompson's committee was getting quite interested in this, that um, he also, Ted Chung also gave, I think, a pretty large donation, $50,000, not not 300000 but still $50,000, to a person named Newt Gingrich, who was the Speaker of the House at the time. And after that was made public, and I think we probably were the first to publish that, um, all of a sudden the uh, Republicans on the Senate uh, until uh, the Senate, whatever study committee was investigating this, uh, uh, all of a sudden they decided not to hold any public hearings on this. Although it was, it was uh, voiced or it was laid out in their public published. Report. Well, what the FBI, what the FBI had picked up on these intercepted calls was something that the Chinese were referring to as the ten point plan. And basically, it was a uh, you know the Chinese uh, they played the long game and and this was a, a an influence campaign, um, and I think the idea the theory anyway the idea was that they would um, support um, uh, candidates uh, who were kind of rising stars in in you know the Democratic Party or the Republican Party and the the particular um, case that they were looking at was Chung was funneling money to. Uh, a, uh, a, a California politician, a Republican, who, by the way, was close to Newt Gingrich, named Matt Fong. His mother, uh, I think it was Marge Fong, was the Secretary of State, and he had become this, uh, the, uh, tre- the Secretary of the Treasury, statewide office in California, and later was going to run for the Senate. Um, and I think they believed that this is a guy who you know, might be a vice presidential candidate at, at some point. And so that was, that was the idea, that they would curry favor— 
uh, with uh, these, um, uh, you know, up and coming American politicians so that they could eventually have um, influence on American politics. And by the way, one last thing, and then Isakov, I'll let you uh, chime in. Um, when I went back and looked at our stories, uh, what I learned was the, the, the kind of the origins of this um, Chinese campaign was uh, jealousy. They were jealous of the Taiwanese because the, the Taiwanese lobby was so powerful in the United States. They had so much influence. Um, and, they, and, and basically they were like, well, you know, w- we need to start doing more of this. Um, and that was the impetus for this particular uh, influence campaign. So what finally happened to Ted Chong? Um, him and his entire family disappeared. They all left really? the country. Yes, they were, and, and never heard from again. To my knowledge, they were never heard from again. And were, I, don't, I don't know what happened to their properties. Were they indicted? No, no. But but there were people indicted and convicted uh, in this investigation who were linked to uh, uh, Chinese to the Chinese influence campaign. Well, there was there was um, John Yu and there was some other Charlie John Tree. Wong. John Wong. I mean, you know who John Wong's lawyer was. Ty Cobb, the very same (laughs) Ty Cobb who has been Donald Trump's uh, lawyer in the White House handling the Russia investigation. Until recently. Until, well, I think he's still there until the end of the month. But yeah, at least he has some experience in foreign government influence campaigns in the United States. But taking a step back, look... um, uh, Danny just sort of laid out what the Chinese were up to. Uh, they were trying to buy access and influence uh, in Washington, uh, in the in the United States political system. How does one distinguish from what the Chinese were doing in 1996 from what the Russians were doing in 2016? Well, number one, I think it was the Russian stuff was more sneaky. Uh, uh, in, in the sense that it was not done as openly, there were not. We still haven't found like large amounts of open campaign. Money. Well, the Chinese weren't being public about the fact that they were laundering money to the United States to uh, to contribute to American political. Candidates. But ultimately, some of the money was traceable, which we haven't found in the case of Russia. But so you're saying the yeah, trade craft yeah. was not as, uh, as as good as there as it was with the right. Russians. But the second thing is just simply the evolution in the media. I mean, you know. The, the 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 existence of social media now has made it much more um, has opened many more avenues for people like Russia or whomever to get involved in trying to manipulate politics. This this stuff just didn't exist in the days of the Clintons. Yeah, that, I think that's the right exactly the right point. And really, uh, what the Russians uh, have been trying to do, and not just in the United States, but in Western Europe, recently in, in the you know, Catalonian elections in Spain, um, is undermine uh, trust in our basic institutions and to sow dissension and to pit uh, groups against each other. Um, and it's a, it's just a, it's a more subtle, more nuanced, um, but in some ways more devastating um, strategy. Um, than uh, than what the Chinese were doing uh, back back in the late nineties, uh, but who knows? Maybe the Russian, maybe the Chinese would be you know are, are doing that now, uh, but we've not really seen evidence of that. I mean, you can't rule that out. I mean, there's been at least some you know traces of that. But at least what we know, the the Chinese were trying were, were were basically a, it was a form of influence peddling. They were trying to gain influence, gain a toll. Or influence purchasing with, rather it, than peddling. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, I, influence purchasing. But what the Russians were doing was something 
it seems, much more sinister, which was influencing the American electorate. They were trying to sow discord. They were trying to uh, influence the outcome of the uh, election, which is which is something. Right. Right. A big a big like, for example, a big part of the Chinese um, uh, campaign back then was to funnel money to what they call overseas Chinese, Chinese living in the United States, some of whom, you know, say ran uh, Chinese language newspapers. And those newspapers might have had a pro-Taiwanese bent. In fact, I think Ted Shung himself bought a Chinese language newspaper that was pro-Taiwan. And then uh, he shifted its orientation toward pro uh, to be pro-Beijing. Um, and so it was it was, you know, kind of still out of the Cold War playbook in a way uh, to try to uh, influence, um, you know, how people thought about the Chinese and uh, how ba- and how um, and, 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 you know, and, and, and so that, that, it was a very different, uh, very different kind of thing than what the Russians are doing to, to really try to, um, you know, as you said, uh, sow discord and and damage our institutions and our democratic processes. Well, and a comparison to of then to now, oddly enough, was presented by the materials that the Senate Judiciary Committee released yesterday, which included a bunch of uh, emails from this Rob Goldstone, the publicist for the Aguileros, who, who was involved in helping to set up the Trump Tower meeting, where he actually talks about how something called VK, which is the biggest Russian, the Russian equivalent of of Twitter or Facebook, uh, that they were going to enlist VK to try and influence, uh, propagandize uh, Russian uh, American voters to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a uh, uh, that was a creative way of uh, influencing the electorate. Um, uh, not necess- that that was not quite as sinister as it were as what they were doing with. Facebook in the United States, which was posing under phony phony names right. uh, and, and planting and, and disinformation planting yeah. and planting AIDS. Um, but in any case, um, Mark, thank you for illuminating us on uh, this week's episode of Buried Treasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll see you on Friday.